Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news. And the best insight analysis in all the subjects that you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and joining me as ever is Duncan Castles. We've got a great podcast here ahead of you because we're joined as well later in this particular podcast by very, very, very interesting guest, which I'm sure you'll all be pleased to hear from, which is Glenn Murray, Brighton Hove and Albion striker, and someone who can bring us an insight into what it's like when a manager and a player don't quite get on, or indeed a manager and Driscoll don't quite get on. But first of all, we head to Tottenham Hotspur, where, funnily enough, the manager and the dressing room seem to be at odds. Um, Duncan, um, Mauricio Pochettino has um, suffered a few setbacks, to say the least, um, in the start of this season. None more so uh, in terms of intensity than the 7-2 defeat by Bayern Munich in the Champions League. Um, and you have interesting news with regards to what he's doing after this round of Premier League games with regards to um, meeting some influential people. Yes, um, this is a, a trip that um, Pochettino is making to Qatar next week um, to take part in something that's called the Aspire Global Summit, which is... Um, a annual conference that uh, is funded by the Qatar royal family through their Aspire Academy in Doha, where they gather um, senior influencers in football uh, together and encourage them to uh, to chat to each other and exchange ideas. And um, they have what they call star chats, which I believe Pochettino will be giving one of those at the conference. And um, I think the more, most interesting thing about this from a Tottenham Hotspur perspective is that it obviously gives Pochettino the opportunity to spend some time with the, um, the owners and the people who run Paris Saint-Germain, um, a club who have been interested in Pochettino as a candidate uh, to coach them for some time, um, a club who are um, usually... Um, not reticent about changing coaches, a club who are considered to be one of the the big name outfits in European football where a major coaching job could open up according to results this season. Um, Thomas Tuchel is there. Uh, We went through a good part of last season um, discussing whether he was going to remain in situ. Um, On the transfer podcast, we told you quite early on that um, the Emir of Qatar had decided uh, he was going to uh, keep faith in Tuchel and give him a a second season when many people were reporting that it was going to be over for him. Um, However, there is definitely a question mark whether that patience will run through another campaign should Tuchel have problems with um, the dressing room. Um, I remember he's still stuck with Neymar. Um, and uh, 
uh, have difficult results. And he's done well in his first two uh, Champions League games. Obviously, a very convincing win over Real Madrid, albeit some of the gloss was taken off that when Club Brugge went to Madrid and went 2 0 up against um, Zinedine Zidane's team this week. And uh, and probably would have won the game if it wasn't for a quite bizarre um, offside call that went in uh, Sergio Ramos's favour, despite uh, looking like it was still offside uh, when VAR had uh, examined it. Tuchel's had two defeats already in the French league um, to fairly minor clubs in in Ron and Reims, um, and it's just a point ahead in the division, which. Um, will have to be remedied and probably will be remedied because he has such huge um, uh, advantages in terms of player resources. But I think, and and talking to people um, involved in the organisation of the summit that Pochettino has, um, I kind of dual aim in going there. And uh, and we know that Pochettino has been looking at his, his options for some time now. We know he wanted to go to Real Madrid over a year ago and Daniel Levy wouldn't let him go. Uh, we know he was a candidate for the Manchester United job uh, when Louis van Gaal was um, uh, dismissed and uh, essentially passed on the on the opportunity to, um, to pursue his interest in Manchester United at that time. Um, so I don't, I don't think any of this is... is this has been a difficult season to be a Tottenham Hotspur supporter um, because what was such a fine finish uh, to last season in terms of getting to that Champions League final um, and a lot of hope when they um, became the highest spending club um, in the in the summer transfer window invested more gross than any other Premier League team in, in, in improving their squad has, um, has turned into the situation where they, uh, they have just... Uh, Three wins um, in ten games so far this season, and uh, and as you say, in uh, their worst, their worst European defeat in the club's history against Bayern at home, in um, in the the brand new, very impressive uh, naming rights lane, um, which uh, Serge Gnabry seemed to enjoy more than any of the Tottenham players or Tottenham supporters that night. I think it's interesting as well, Duncan, that um, the. Um situation regarding Pochettino um, has changed dramatically um, in the last six months. We reported repeatedly on this podcast that he was the preferred candidate for both Manchester United and for Real Madrid. And then circumstances, uh, let's just say, conspired to um, see... Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer appointed at uh, Old Trafford and uh, obviously the return of Zinedine Zidane to Santiago Bernabeu. Now, Pochettino, I suspect, and I've heard from people close to him, feels a little bit disenfranchised by those circumstances because he always felt that whatever happened to him at the end of last season was, of course, was a defeat in the Champions League final by Liverpool in Madrid, that he would have an option to go somewhere else. And he didn't get that option. Now, I think it's very interesting um, that PSG, um, and as you said, the Qatari owners, have made this invite to Pochettino to come out during the international break. And 
speak to him as well about the project that they have, whether it's PSG, whether it's a international team. We know that um, this is a, a very, very influential and important um, part of the modern football culture with regards to what they can offer, both financially, but also as um, a, a project to a coach like Pochettino. So it will be, I think, extremely interesting with regards to what happens the next few weeks um, with, with Pochettino and Spurs, because um, as we reported in the podcast last week, the Tottenham players are perplexed about his attitude um, with regards to how things are going this season. That's not obviously been um, helped by the 7-2 defeat by Bayern Munich. And also, um, there is a question now as to whether or not uh, Pochettino himself sees a future at uh, White Hart Lane, um, Naomi Wright Stadium, as you call it, Duncan, um, with regards to going forward. So it's, it's, it really is in the mix, I think, now, um, and a very, very interesting situation that we have developing. Uh, an additional bit of information on, on this um, conference in Doha. Um, Jose Mourinho was invited to attend the, the same summit that Pochettino is attending and uh, turned down the invitation. I think that might not be unconnected with what we've been reporting um, on the podcast about Real Madrid and uh, his readiness to take over there um, and the problems that uh, Florentino Perez has been having with Zidane and um, his, as president's preparations to change coach um, in, well, we'll see how the timing develops. But uh, as we, we've, we've said on here previously, um, very influential people at Madrid uh, believe that Zidane's time is limited and certainly results like he had in the Champions League in midweek are not going to um, extend uh, and give him a, a longer deadline uh, as being the Santiago Bernabeu manager. Pep Guardiola this week, Duncan, has been um, talking about uh, his disappointment um, that every time he doesn't select... Uh, Phil Foden to play uh, makes him feel sad and I think the exact quote was he would be on the floor with Foden when he was not selected for a game. Now, interesting, Gabriel Jesus, um, a player who has absolutely proven himself um, for Manchester City, um, but at the same time, is still definitely a number two, if not number three striker for the Premier League champions. Um, he must, I, I suspect, um, feel like his um, quality and his value may be elsewhere. And I understand that you have some information regarding Jesus with regards to what he feels about himself and also about where his future might lie as well. Yes. Um, well, you've got the Brazil international striker there, you know, the man who was a, the, the starting number nine for Brazil at the World Cup. Um, 17 goals in 35 games for Brazil um, at a 
still an early stage of his career, just looking at his performances for Manchester City um, without ever consistently being first choice and a guaranteed starter for them. Uh, 49 goals in 108 games and 17 assists, which is, you know, good numbers, um, albeit in a very high-scoring team. It's still solid, solid numbers. This season, um, four goals in 450 minutes on the pitch. Um, There was a story uh, in German press this week that um, Manchester City had offered uh, Jesus to Bayern Munich as an alternative to Leroy Zani um, to try and kind of ward them away from taking Zani away from them and taking them out of their attack and, and allow them an opportunity or um, convince, to convince Zani to, to sign a longer contract. Um, that's a, again a story we broke on the, on the Transfer Window podcast um, many months ago of, was of Bayern Munich's interest in taking Zani and also of the problems Manchester City were having in extending his contract. Um, what I can tell you is that um, during the summer, Manchester City were prepared to sell Jesus. Um, they had an offer for the player from Borussia Dortmund, um, which the Brazilian examined and considered and eventually decided that it wasn't the right club for him to go to. So um, stopped that deal from going through. They also offered, I'm told, um, Jesus to Juventus um, at one point during the summer while they were involved in negotiations for Jean Cancelo. Um, and proposed that as a, a solution um, uh, with instead of uh, them paying money and uh, Danilo uh, going the other way, uh, the idea would have been that uh, um, they got Cancelo with some additional cash from Juventus for um, Gabriel Jesus. Juventus didn't want to do it, that fell through. Um, from what uh, I am told, that failure to move Jesus off their books stopped Manchester City from completing a deal for Jean Felix. Um, talking to people close to Felix, um, they say that City basically had everything in place to sign the Portuguese forward, um, but they couldn't do it because of the financing and they needed Jesus. Um, the money from his transfer and uh, the wage bill that that would open up to be able to complete the deal. Um, so I think you put all of that together and you will, you have to come to the conclusion that this is a you know a player, um, a potential transfer we, that you want to be monitoring because you've got um, a forward of, of real talent um, who has demonstrated track record at international football, demonstrated track record in European football, but can't get a, a place in the team as much as he would like to have simply because one of the best strikers um, Premier League history is ahead of him and has, uh, has convinced Pep Guardiola that he should be first choice. And remember, when Jesus was signed, that was a period in which Guardiola actually wanted um, to sell Aguero. He felt that Aguero didn't do enough in terms of the uh, total contribution to the team, um, in terms of following his tactical instruction and be able to and being getting involved in chasing opposition players down and um, engaging in tactical fouling, um, and therefore wanted Aguero to leave. And, and I'm told that. Um, 
basically the club had to come to Guardiola and say, please, please find a way to keep Aguero in the team. We do not want to sell this player. He's a hero of the fans. Um, we don't normally advise you on what to do with players. We usually give you what you want in terms of restructuring the team. Um, but in this case, try and work out a solution. And I think they also worked with Aguero as well to to get him and, and explain to him that if he wanted to stay, he had to do more of what Guardiola was asking him to do. The, that has been achieved. Um, and the you know the, the, the fall guy has been Jesus, who, who was purchased um, on Guardiola's recommendation with the idea that he would be Aguero's successor. Um, but that promotion path, I think it's probably more obscure than it's, than it's ever been for him. As we promised you at the top of the podcast, we're now joined by Brent Hovabin striker and general Premier League legend, Glenn Murray, it has to be said, uh, who's going to give us a little bit of a rundown on things that have been happening this week in football, as well as um, preview the games in this weekend. Glenn, Brent Hovabin have got a big game against Tottenham Hotspur. They had a very, very big loss to Bayern Munich. Uh, in the Champions League. What's the state of mind with regards to um, Brighton going into this game at home against a Tottenham team who have been beaten 7-2 and who are obviously going through a bit of a, a tough time at this moment? Well, firstly, thank you for having me on the podcast. And I'm not sure about the introduction, the legendary status, but I will take it. Oh, no, no, it's legend. <laughs> Always legend. <laughs> um, no, listen, going into Spurs this weekend, obviously they've they've made the headlines with their uh, European exploits and uh, and, and getting um, a heavy defeat. I think I think it's the heaviest at home in, in Europe. Um, but do you know what? It, 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 uh, it's a bit cliché. I mean, we are just concentrating ourselves. Um, it's it, it, it's a tough game. Um, take take nothing away from from Tottenham. It's it one very bad result for them, but they've they've got the players and 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 the uh, and the talent to turn it around in a heartbeat. And uh, and we don't want to help them do that. We we we're going into the game concentrating ourselves and, and and trying to see which is the best way we can outpose ourselves, uh, impose ourselves on them on the afternoon and, and try and take some points out of the game. You're a very experienced guy, Glenn, in terms of, you know, your football career and what you've come up against uh, and what you've achieved in in that career as well. Um I I get what you're saying about it being cliched with regards to you know, you've got to be wise to what Tottenham might respond to the Bayern defeat. But I'm guessing there must be a kind of a sense of, um, I don't know, um, ability or hope to exploit the same things that Bayern Munich did. Um, Brighton are not Bayern Munich, that's for sure. But at the same time, you you have, um, you know, tactical analysis, et cetera, et cetera. You yourself are a student of the game. You watch those games and you think, well, you know, where are those weaknesses which were exploited by Bayern are able to be exploited again? Yeah, I mean, definitely that's that's what we've got people at the club for. Like like you mentioned, there our analysts, our coach and staff, and and us as players, uh, we're all working as one to try to try to go about hurting Spurs the best way we can. Uh, obviously, 
we've seen a good example of that on 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 um, Tuesday night um, against Bayern. But listen, Spurs are going to come back fighting. They're they're, they're not going to roll over for anyone. Um, so we know we need to be on our our on top of our games to to get anything out of the fixture. And listen, they they will have also analysed the game, and I'm sure they've got lots of staff. Uh, in in that sort of department um, on 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 how to stop us and uh, and how to strengthen those frailties that we're seeing on Tuesday. Well, take take it away from Tottenham um, and just extrapolate it generally. You know, the the we we talk in football about managers struggling with the dressing room or the dressing room sometimes changing its. Uh, getting bored of a manager, getting bored of of, of working the same way with with a, with a coach, and and um, it, it seems it's quite difficult to turn those situations around, in particularly in modern football where where there is a a rapid turnover of coaches. What's the what's your experience of that as a player in terms of um, a, a point? Is there a, is there a, is there an obvious point where things? go wrong even when it's been working well with a with a manager for a period of time is it easy for you to tell that um, it's, it's it's a really difficult question uh, to, to answer um but yeah i think i think we've seen it um is it three or four years ago maybe even longer now with Mourinho at chelsea where he'd had successful times at the club and and the the, the players just it just it just seemed to go a bit sour and he, he ended up leaving but yeah I have been in dressing rooms where that has happened. Um, not generally where the manager has done fantastically well. Um, more, more so where things have been okay and, and then gone downhill from there and and sort of there, there becomes a little bit of chatter and things like that and maybe a, a few lads are unhappy and, and that spreads throughout the squad and, and obviously... When results aren't going our way or the the club's way, um, people people tend to look for scapegoats, and and sometimes that can be the manager. I mean, on 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 many occasions, for me, Pochettino's got a group of players that want to play for him and 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 have been very successful for him. How difficult is it, Glenn? And again, not I'm not talking about Spurs specifically here. Just in your experience, you've had a long career in in the top flight of football. But when a relationship sours, if it's with one player or with many players in the dressing room, how difficult is that to repair? Yeah, I mean, I think I think quite often we see it, it's irreparable, and uh, and obviously players and managers at this at this level have, have got egos and, and they believe in what they're doing and and and. and uh, and how to do it? Uh, obviously, you need to be strong-minded to be to be a manager. It's it, it's a case of, for me, being a top-class manager. Um, half the battle is keeping twenty-five to thirty very wealthy footballers on side, and if you can get that togetherness and uh, and that feeling of 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 all twenty-five, and I'm not just talking about the eleven that start in other other the thirteen that are featuring often. I'm, I'm talking about all twenty-five members of your squad, uh, your training squad, day in, day out, pulling in the same direction. And, and lads who may be sitting in the stand on a Saturday uh, for, for whatever reason, putting it in at training and pushing pushing those lads in, in the in the 18 for a place on the bench and, and the lads in the 18 pushing the 11 for a place on the pitch. And I think if you can get that ha- that harmonious 
spirit in your in your group, then you're you're halfway there to being a successful manager. Who have you worked with, Glenn, who's been particularly good at that? I, I, I tell a story about Tony Pulis. Um, and we were at Crystal Palace at the time, obviously. Um, and things weren't going perfectly. We, we were struggling. It was, it was sort of coming up to the, um, sort of probably the last third, last quarter of the season. And he made, he made a big change. And he, he said that um, all 25 will travel home and away. Now, this could have went one or two ways, really, because... Obviously, we, we had some 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 elder pros and, and some and some um, some very good pros at that time. Uh, one that one that springs to mind is Breda Hangerland. And I mean, th- these these lads. Let's put it this way: it's not normal in football for twenty five men to be travelling to an away fixture. And if if they do, you can quite often get rifts in the group where people are a little bit annoyed. Let's say that they're they're travelling and they know that they're going to be left in the stand and it's it's almost um, a wasted weekend for them when they may have stayed at the training ground and done a bit, bit of extra training. Uh, so, yeah, he made the decision to take 25 men home and away and uh, and it worked fantastically. He, he had a great group that bought into that and, and I, I believe that that, 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 that move is, is part of the reason why we got out of the predicament we're in, but it was a very bold move and... and uh, and I must admit, he gets he gets a lot of uh, he gets quite a bit of stick, Tony Pulis, but he was a fantastic uh, manager, especially um, when when I worked under him. That is very bold, Glenn, in terms of because I've heard of players saying they don't want to be, um, you know, just another body. That's one of the worst things that you know you can experience as a player. It can be, yeah, but I think it was credit to him for the group that he had put together and the like-mindedness of the boys and the spirit of the boys that he's brought in, that that he knew when he was signing those players that, that whether it went well or not on a personal level, they were always going to be there for the group. You're obviously now a, a guy who's experienced the Premier League with Brighton and also with Crystal Palace as well, but um, what what's your fe- feeling in terms of seven games in, um, where things stand and everything else because it's been a bit of a strange few few weeks in terms of the opening games. Um, a lot of clubs have done worse than expected. A lot of clubs have done better than expected. Um, do you think this whole thing is a bit of a kind of strange mix? Uh, are we talking about Brighton or are we talking about... No, just, no, not Brighton. No, just, gen- just generally, Glenn. Yeah. Just generally. Well, I think, obviously, I don't think that people expected City to, to come unstuck um, as many times as they had have already and for Liverpool to be leading the race um, so quickly. Um, but then you look, you look at the other sort of um, big six and, uh, I mean, I don't think anyone expected Tottenham to start how they've started. Um, Chelsea have started reasonably well, I think, uh, especially with the predicament they're in obviously with the transfer ban, but the way I look at the Chelsea scenario is that I feel that it could be a real a real big moment in the club's history because I, I look at the the likes of... And, we've, and people have spoke about this for, for quite a while now, about the, um, about Chelsea's youth system and, and, and people not getting the, the chances um, and, and being, being put out on loan and then sold and, and never given the chance in, in, the, uh, in the first 11. But... I feel now is a real opportunity for Chelsea and it seems 
like it's the perfect moment to be honest. I mean, we've we've got Reese James. Uh, he's back in back from a bad injury along with the doy. Uh, Tammy Abraham's came in scoring goals. Mason Mount uh, is obviously hit the ground running. Um, and Tamori, who were both on loan in the championship under Frank Lampard with Derby. And then obviously they've also got Loftus Cheek coming back in that fold. And I think I've mentioned six, seven, seven young Chelsea boys there that I really think if the club can keep hold of and, and they've showed they can by tying the door down to a long term deal. Um I think I think it could be a really good time for Chelsea. We've we've talked about this in the podcast earlier in the season and, and, and said we we think this is probably a turnaround for English football in the after years and years of seeing the, the number of minutes played by English footballers dropping in the Premier League, they're probably going to go up this season. Partly because of Chelsea, but also because of other clubs. As as a as a man who's been playing you know in English football for a long time, have you noticed the the technical quality of academy players improving during your period as a as a professional footballer? Yeah, I've I've definitely seen the infrastructure grow grow at clubs uh, throughout the last sort of fifteen years, and I think I think now we are seeing seeing the um, seeing sort of of that, of that blossom with, with with the players coming through, like like the players I mentioned at Chelsea there, and and obviously there's a lot more out there. We looked at. Um, Madison, who came from Norwich, who's done fantastically well at Leicester, along with another young boy, Chilwell. And and I really think that a lot of it is down to, to Gareth Southgate, to be honest. Um, yeah. I think he was very bold when he went in as England manager. Obviously, he'd been, young, he'd been in charge of the younger age groups and he'd seen the quality uh, and he's obviously believed in it and he's, he's, he's taken it with him to the first team. And I think that bold move by the by the national team manager has has spurred um, spurred sort of Premier League clubs to 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 take heed and 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 follow his follow following his footsteps almost. And I think we've seen a, a new era of English football. Do you think, Glenn, that um, the young players coming through because you've been around a long time and you've seen players come in fall away, um, some have made it, some haven't. Do you think there's a, 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 a I don't know, a lack of fear about these this this new generation of players where they just want to play football rather than get caught up in the, you know, um, tactical uh, and also the problems of, oh, well, how do we play against the opposition? Yeah. Listen, I think I think in these academies, and we, we've we've been doing it for quite a while now, is is getting kids um, to get used to being on the ball in whatever position they are on the field, and 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 in 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 some in some scenarios, getting them to play games in different positions so they get comfortable in in different scenarios on the pitch. And I think, like we like we see now, we see everyone's comfortable on the ball, whether it be a centre forward. Whether it be an attacker, midfielder, centre midfielder, but particularly your defence and even more so your your goalkeeper, who's used in possession as an eleventh player rather than just a goalkeeper in defence. If you had to pick someone from the Brighton Academy who you felt had the the the, the top chance of making it, 
um, for Brighton in, in the Premier League? Is there is there an individual you could you'd identify as being the most talented in there? Well, I mean, obviously the standout one who's who's come through the academy is is, is a little bit older now. Is is, is Lewis Dunk, who's who's our captain, um, and he's, he's he's done fantastic, and and he's he's come on leaps and bounds. I watched uh, Lewis in my first spell sort of step into the first team uh, alongside his centre-half partner at the time who was Steve Cook who is now at Bournemouth um, doing very well and he's, he's played in the Premier League for a number of seasons now but looking at the real youth um, obviously the, the two standouts this year are Stephen Alzati uh, who is a fantastic footballer um, He's, I think his preferred position, even though he can play almost anywhere, is centre midfield. But the thing I really like about Stephen is that he can he can front a player up and go past them. And I, I don't think you get many midfielders that can do that. Um, one that one that jumps to mind is uh, is Dembele, at, uh, who was at Spurs. I think I think he went over to China yeah. a couple of years ago. But I think it's really rare in the centre midfielder uh, who who can go past uh, an opponent with ease. Plus, plus uh, that doesn't take away from his vision. Vision when he's in there, and then the other youngster that we've got uh, who's doing really well is um, Aaron Conley, the striker. Um, he took the under twenty three league uh, over the last couple of seasons. I think with with ease, uh, he scored a lot of goals, and uh, I think it's a great time for him to step up, especially in in this in the type of football we're playing at the minute. He has done well for Ireland under twenty ones, and uh, he's he's keen to learn. and And I think he's get, getting really close to getting in the Ireland first team. So, so that shows how how uh, how well he's come on. And I'm sure his first Premier League goal is isn't far away. Glenn, I know that you're someone who um, is, let's just say, a little bit kind of. Um, uh, in two minds about the, how the academy system works. Um, we've spoken about this together before. It seems to me, though, that, that there is a opportunity now for young players to come through. And um, I know that you worry about the opportunity for young players to put the ball at risk, as you call it, in terms of um, playing a pass or making the dribble. Um rather than obviously retaining possession. Have you seen a, 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 a difference in the last year or so in terms of how players are encouraged to play? Yeah, I, I think so. Yes, I, I do. I mean, that, that's, I think that's a moment that was uh, scarred me maybe. Um, I, I was once watching an academy game. I won't say which club it was at, but... Um, the manager was screaming to the boys, don't put the ball at risk. And I can understand that to, to, to some degree, but I think the game's got to be played with an element of risk in, in, in the right positions for it to be excitable. Um, I mean, we don't just want to watch teams keeping possession for the sake of keeping possession without trying to progress forward and, and score goals, which is, is the, the aim of the game, so to speak. Um but now I, th- I think that players seem to be playing with a little bit more freedom. Uh, younger players seem to be playing with more freedom. Um, but as we can see, uh, they're all very comfortable with the ball and, and, and uh, very, well, I, I would probably say more technical than, than the, um, 
than the youngsters we've ever seen in 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 England, apart from your your obvious uh, standouts that that went on to become superstars. Glenn Murray, we are very appreciative of your time. Um, we thank you very much for joining us on the Transfer Window podcast uh, on this Friday edition. Um, we obviously hope to hear from you soon as well um, because your insight is always and gratefully received. We will um, wish you well for the game against Tottenham Hotspur on Saturday and hope to speak to you soon in the coming uh, weeks and months of this season. So, uh, cheers, Glenn. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much, both. As this is Friday's podcast, we were going to go into the um, quickfire round, which, as you know, sometimes goes over quickfire. Sometimes it goes to even more than over quickfire. And um, this one might be, uh, I'm just warning you in advance, one of those situations. Um on the back of Liverpool's um, three-goal lead uh, in the Champions League uh, this week, which they conceded in a very, very um, rapid way before obviously can, um, confirming their uh, their win with a great goal from Mohamed Salah. We're asking our quick for a round to be... Which defence would you choose to defend a three-goal lead um, in the current Premier League, obviously? Um, I'm not sure, Duncan, where I'd start with this because um, I'm not sure there are many clubs who have a defence who could defend a, a three-goal lead from what I've seen so far, but I will trust you to tell us um, where you think that is the case. Well, I think with... with the exception, obvious exception of Chelsea, you could um, choose any defence that had to play against Manchester United. What's the exception of Chelsea then? <laughs> well, Chelsea are the only team who've, who've managed to concede more than a goal against Manchester United so far this season. <laughs> but, <laughs> Four goals, as it, as it turned out, yeah. Yes, but um, interestingly, um, if you look at the numbers... Um, best defence in terms of goals against that you've got two candidates one of which is excluded because of the midweek performance um, is Liverpool and the other is Leicester City um, who've only conceded five times this season um, are uh, definitely uh, well organised they have I think if you look across the defensive line, you can see why the numbers are are good and it's not obviously it's not simply down to the, the four um, defenders and the goalkeeper, but in Ben Chilwell, um, Kaglar Soinchu, Johnny Evans, Ricardo Pereira, and uh, Kasper Schmeichel, um, they have solid players in each position, plus that um, organised tactical shape. So um, I think uh, the the new look Leicester City defence, shorn of the um, the somewhat error-prone 85 million. Pound man, they, they handed off to Manchester United. Are the the best candidates here? Well, I can't disagree with you, Duncan. Um, in you know, in the spirit of friends of Brendan, um, I think he definitely has uh, the um, the whip on this one regarding the best defence. Um, that clearly will be tested to its utmost with regards to their um, visit to Liverpool 
on this weekend's Premier League fixtures. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see how um, the former Anfield manager fares against the Jurgen Klopp. And it will be interesting, his first visit back to Anfield um, since he was sacked there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you can you can tell I didn't look at the fixtures ahead of making that brave call. <laughs> absolutely can take that on board. But we shall discuss them on, this on Monday's podcast, obviously, um, when we get the result of that game. We thank you all for listening to um, this, our Freddy podcast. Uh, if you want to continue the debate, please do so with us at Transfer Podcast and individually at Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ. Uh, we thank our guest tonight as well, of course, who has been brilliant um, in terms of uh, giving us insight, Glenn Murray, and, and he is at GM17. Uh, so please, uh, if you want to uh, get in touch with Glenn, please uh, do so as well. He will be willing to um, answer any questions you have about things that he brought up on this podcast. Um, if you enjoyed it, then as you know, please give something back. Go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating, and then we can expand the community. Um, all that's left for me to say is that Duncan and I will be attending um, Brighton and Hove Albion versus uh, Tottenham Hotspur on this Saturday, which is a very unusual situation for us um, to be able to go to a game together. But we will be doing that and we will give you our opinion on Monday's podcast, not just about the game, but I'm sure about most other things as well regarding that. Um, and you can, as said, uh, please get in touch with us. Um, regarding the weekend's football. Until then, we will see you through the transfer window on Monday. And thanks for listening. Hey.